Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. You're listening to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is part three of this very special interview with Michael Howe. So let me just go over that again. So in other words, in North Carolina, in the state of North Carolina, you cannot carry a concealed weapon in any theater, regardless of whether it has a sign uh, not permitting you. I know that if you have a concealed handgun permit, uh, then you know that if there's a sign on a building that says no guns allowed, regardless of whether you have a permit or not, you cannot enter that building with a handgun. That's part of the law. Right. But you presumably should be able to enter any establishment, place of business or whatever, uh, as long as it doesn't serve alcohol, uh, as long as there's no uh, sign that says you can't bring a gun in here. But you say that theaters currently are, are not part of that uh, rule. Because they charge admission. So yeah. any place that you would potentially go, it could be uh, a private uh, theater where they perform plays. It could be a small privately owned museum or zoo or anything like that. If it charges admission... You cannot carry a concealed firearm under current North Carolina law. All right, so that's that's the deciding point there, uh, and I want to be clear about that. So, there, whether there's a sign or not, if a place, if you have to pay money to get in, you cannot carry a, a handgun. That is correct. Okay. This bill would also allow college employees to have handguns in certain types of residences, and that's limited to single-family detached homes, people who are college employees and live on the campus grounds, and they could also carry in their uh, vehicles as well. And it clarifies the limits of local authority to prohibit concealed carry. The, the law currently allows them to prohibit carrying in parks that contain like recreational facilities, athletic fields, swimming pools. But some councils have wanted to sort of 
declare an entire greenway or a hiking trail or open fields to be a recreational area, and that's not what the statute intended. This makes it specific that they cannot do that. Unfortunately, it fails to provide civil penalties for any commissions that work outside of law. It would also establish uniform reporting requirements for mental health and substance abuse data to be regularly reported to the NICS system. That's the National Instant Background Check System that's maintained by the federal government. States have historically done a poor job of reporting that kind of data that would potentially be used to deny someone the ability to purchase a handgun. And uh, it, this bill did have 12 minutes, or excuse me, 12 amendments that were offered during the floor debate. Every one of them were tabled by vote, so they did not change, did not amend the bill whatsoever. But essentially, they involved trying to uh, add background checks for private sales or to block carrying firearms onto educational property, to insert some magazine capacity limits, and uh, strengthen the storage of guns in houses with minors by defining a minor as someone under 18 which would be much more stringent than what 937 has. But those failed to pass, and so 937 passed as is and is awaiting a vote in the committee in the Senate. So the status of this bill, and this seems to me like a very reasonable bill. It really addresses a lot of the issues that uh, we're all concerned about in North Carolina. Uh, it has passed the House, and it's now in the Senate. So what What is the status in the Senate, and what do you think the chances are that this is going to get a vote? Well, the Senate seems to be a little more adverse to passing gun rights bills. I mean, for example, we had a one last year that was allowed to just languish in the Senate committee after having passed in the House, and it just died. So, And you see that currently, the, of those that have passed one House, they've all come out of the House of Representatives. So there's just less support for it in the Senate. At this point, I'm not optimistic. However, sufficient pressure brought to bear by those concerned about these kinds of bills, I think, can make a difference, along with working with grassroots North Carolina and organizations like that to try and force a vote on these bills. If it gets a floor vote, I think it would pass. So the object here is to get it out of committee, and onto the floor. How much time do we have to do that? Well, there is no set time limit on when the legislature would adjourn. Traditionally, that's been usually sometime in May, perhaps going into June somewhat. So no one really knows exactly when that's going to happen, but it's getting late. We're already halfway through May. So in other words, we better get on the stick here and, and contact our senator Senator Jim Davis, who is our senator in District 50, uh, and see what he can do to get this bill moving along. Um, and I think that we ought to try to uh, contact our friends and all over the state, wherever we can, to try to get some pressure to get this bill out. If, if the Senate does not do anything, this bill just dies. Is that the case? Not this session, because since it passed one house, then it can be held over to the short session and could be brought up again next year, which, of course, the short session, you have less time. And if there are a number of bills like that, then it's competing in a, in a much more time, greater time constraint than it would be in the regular session. 
Who's holding? We really, but we don't want to wait till next year. We want this to happen this year, and this is why we need to bring this, this political pressure to bear for them to act now. Who's holding the bill up? Well, it's in the Senate Rules Committee. The chairman, that's uh, Tom Apodaca, and he could bring it to a hearing. He could bring it forth. I think it would probably get out of committee, and if it got a four vote, I believe it would pass. So, in other words, we got to start calling Tom Apodaca. I agree. All right, everyone, listen to me. Let's get on the phone here. Monday morning, call Tom Apodaca. You can get his number. How do they get their numbers, the phone numbers from these people? All of the contact information for any member of the General Assembly is available on their website, and it's a very well-organized website. It's one thing that the General Assembly did very well, which is ncleg.net, ncleg.net. And any member can be, you can find their their contact number for their office, their email address, uh, the, the chairman of any of the committees. If you want to, uh, the members themselves of all the committee, you can email every member of the Senate Rules Committee, urge them to pass this. And anytime someone do, does that, they need to be understand that they need to be polite. They need to be professional. They need to be a good representative of what we're trying to do. And it's lawful, law-abiding gun owners that want to see these things pass. And so we just need to politely explain why it's important to us, why we need this, how it would enhance public safety in North Carolina, and that we can't wait another year. That's very good advice. So we have some work cut out for us on this bill, HB 937, which to me sounds very, very reasonable, and it certainly covers a lot of the things that we need in North Carolina. We're going to take a quick break right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More with Michael Howe after this. So that's job number one for all of us. What, what else is going on in the, in the legislature when it comes to guns? Well, we've got House Bill 17, and that was a little older than 937. It's sponsored by Representative Burr, Hager, Hollow, and Bell. And it has 36 co-sponsors, but it passed the House back in March 26, of which both Representatives West and Queen did support this bill. And it's been sitting in the Senate Judiciary One Committee since that time. But what it would do is it would make the information that's collected when issuing concealed handgun permits or pistol purchase permits, it would make that information confidential. Under current North Carolina law, that information isn't listed as a public record, but it doesn't say it's not either. So the agencies that hold this information, when the sheriff's offices, you know, they, they run these checks, they issue these permits, they can release this information. And we saw some of this happen back earlier in the year when a newspaper up in New York published the gun owners of a number, a large number of people living in the New York area. And it creates an incentive for burglars to break into houses because that's where the guns are. Or if you have perhaps someone who's trying to avoid an ex because of domestic violence, you just told him she has a gun. So it's personal information that people don't like to be put out and made public, and this would prevent that. Well, you know we had an incident here in Cherokee County where the newspaper attempted to get that list from the sheriff, and fortunately, Sheriff Keith Lovins stood up and said, no, you're not getting that information from me. 
and we all applaud Sheriff Levin for doing that. He understands that that poses a definite risk to the safety and privacy of individual citizens. So who was holding that bill up? Well, that's in the Senate Judiciary One Committee. And, you know, if, if you wanted to address these, the best way to do it is to go to the legislative website, find out the names of the, these specific committee members, and email every one of them. You can do it as a group email if you like, blind copy it or something of that nature, or send an individual. Uh, I would recommend that someone not specifically say, put your name, but you won't, wouldn't want to say necessarily where you live, because if you're not one of their constituents, it's going to carry less weight, because they know you, could, you can't really vote for them one way or the other, as you mentioned before. But still, the more feedback that they hear from the people, the more likely that this bill is to get a fair vote and move forward to a Senate floor vote. So what's next? What other stuff is going on up there? We've got House Bill 452, sponsored by Representatives Holloway, Glazier, Faircloth, and Lucas, with 27 co-sponsors. It passed the House on April 25th. Both Representatives Webb and Queen did support this bill. It's currently in the Senate Education Committee. Remember the NRA recommended that we enhance school security following the Newtown, Connecticut incident by putting police officers in the schools. And about a third of the schools around the country have armed police officers as their resource officers. But this would allow sheriffs and chiefs of police to establish volunteer resource officers using former law enforcement officers. It is my understanding that a number of retired law enforcement officers would like to be able to give back to the community to volunteer some of their time to do just that. And this would empower them to do it. You know, not to mention the fact that it would allow us to enhance school security without really spending a lot of money. So I think it makes good sense to do this. And the uh, if you look at the people who um, are in very important positions in Washington, where do their kids go to school? Private schools with armed security. Our kids get gun-free zones. That makes absolutely no sense. Well, that sounds, again, like an, another bill that should have no problem uh, getting passed. In this case, both uh, West and Queen, one a Republican, one Democrat, had voted in favor of the bill. That should be an indication that there might be uh, bipartisan support for something like this. And you're certainly right. Uh, when you have uh, former law enforcement officers who are well-trained and they have... Uh, the ability to give back to the community by providing security and protection in schools, that's a really a win-win situation for everybody. Yes, sir. What else is going on up there? Well, there's one other bill I want to mention, uh, House Bill 405. It's sponsored by Representatives McNeil, Burr, Faircloth, and Davis with 29 co-sponsors. Passed the House recently, May 7th. Both Representatives West and Queen supported the bill, and it's in the Senate Rules Committee. But it, it gives judges and administrative law judges and clerks of court who have concealed handgun permits, it allows them to be exempt from some of the prohibitions. You know, before a judge could not carry a handgun into his courtroom. So this would allow those with CHPs to be able to carry in a lot more areas than the average person. Now, that might seem a little, a little bit unequal in a sense, but they're in, they're in key positions that make them targets to criminals 
So I think it's it's a reasonable thing. Personally, I I think CHP should be able to do this as well, but that's not likely to happen. So there are certainly, I mean, that gives us, there's this one, two, three, those are four really important bills that are being, that have been passed by the House that uh, are just languishing in the Senate at this point. And so I'm sure that someone like GRNC is, is actively trying to get these bills out of committee and onto the floor. But I think that our listeners here have to do their part as well. And you've told them how to do that. You go to ncleg.net and find the committee involved. What committee is that last bill in, by the way? It's currently in the Senate Rules Committee. So we have two, two bills in the Senate Rules Committee, uh, HB 937 and HB 405. We have HB 17, which is in the Judiciary 1 Committee. And we have HB 452 in the Education Committee. So... Those are four bills that have, are halfway through the hurdle. They've been passed by the House. They need to be considered by the Senate. And really, only our pressure at this point is going to get them out of committee. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to do. So what else is going on up in Raleigh in terms of pro-gun rights measures that have not either been passed in, in, in either of the Houses? Well, there are some excellent ideas that are in the form of bills, but they have not received a committee vote, and at this point, I don't think they're going to. But just a few examples, uh, HB 49, the idea is if you go to, say your employer will not allow you to carry a firearm and store it in your car while you're there, or you're at a business that says you cannot have a firearm in the parking lot of their business, this would hold those property owners and business owners civilly liable for people who were denied that right but then are injured or killed as a result of not being able to defend themselves with a firearm. A good example would be a business where they work shifts, perhaps a female employee who comes to work late at night or gets off work late at night and have a breakdown on the way to or from work, flat tire in a deserted area, perhaps not a good cell signal or cell phone, batteries gone dead, a host of things that could happen. Some predator comes along, they didn't bring their handgun with them because of the rule of not being able to have it at that location. So this would hold those people civilly liable and give an incentive to change the policy. Another, well, sorry. let me ask you a question. I mean, if the Castle Doctrine uh, is, allows your car to be your domicile, What's to prevent someone from keeping it locked and well hidden in their car? No one really would ever know it's there. Uh, and then claim, if it ever happened, that, yeah, they had it there because that that car is their domicile. You know, it, it's not as if, it's not as if, if, if that, under those circumstances, let's say you're in the parking lot, you're not going to be taking the thing out, brandishing it around all over the place, say, see, ha ha, I have a gun. But if you just kept it locked and hidden away somewhere where no one knew about it, it would be there for you once you drove out of the parking lot in case one of those really bad things did happen to you. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property. 
that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Call me the mischief. Thank <laughs> you. 